0: From Hong Kong, this is Mea Kupa, the Lessons Learned from Startups podcast. Based on the postmodern conference, where founders, investors, lawyers, and mentors share their stories about working on, with, or for startups. I'm Jeffrey Brewer, and today we talk to Koen Munneke, CEO and co-founder at Intrinsic, a SaaS health tech platform that connects medical device producers with their clinicians named by Garland Grove as one of the leading healthcare startups in Asia and also a 500 Startups alumni. Welcome, Koen. Uh Thanks, Jeff. Nice to be here. Uh, Kun, how did you end up
1: in startups? It's, um, it's, it's, it's a very, very long story. But um, actually, the funny thing was that I... I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So my uh, my father are the uh, my father is um, one of the traditional uh, entrepreneurs of Holland, which is actually a farmer family from the east of Holland. And my mother's side um, was actually uh, um, also entrepreneurial, very much so. Um, but my journey was pretty long. I did a lot of academics in the social sciences side of things, and then I wanted to do a PhD uh, in Hong Kong, didn't get accepted, and I thought, you know, I'll I'll get one of those honorary degrees later, um, but I'm going to start a business, because I had always been organizing things and events, and it just felt very natural to me to sort of start a business, I would say.
0: And when you didn't do your honorary education what was the point that you said okay like i'm not going to do this i am going to start this business and what kind of business was that?
1: right um i think when i was studying in my master's i was i was very interested in bespoke manufacturing like 3d printing and 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 that sort of whole uh industrial revolution 4.0 thing um and and just like sort of the on a on a on a social science, political, economic level, on a theoretical level, I was just super interested in it all. Um, and so for me, I, I really wanted to be part of that. I, I, I believe the hype. And, um, and so I thought to myself, I want to do something with 3d printing and, 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 and thought, how can I apply this? And, and so that sort of got me into, you know, just thinking about starting a business. Cause I'd always enjoyed like building things with people. Um, even though it was not like an entity or anything. And so I was um, thinking, brainstorming about it. What can I do with 3D printing? And then I met my 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 then co-founder, uh, who I actually knew since I was 15 or 16. And we were snowboarding together and, and we were talking about this idea. He came out of retail. Um, I was uh, on a theoretical level completely into 3D printing and all that sort of jazz. And that's sort of really how the the ball started rolling and and um so i yeah so so we started talking about the idea of how we could do something with 3d printing which was in, in retrospect completely the wrong way to go around uh, about it because we were looking for a problem uh t- to match our solution which is like an epic mistake obviously to start with but um that's sort of how the how, how we started off and um yeah, and so he had this retail ideas. I had this ideas about 3D printing, and, and, and so we started going. I, I was already living in Hong Kong, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to go to factories. I'm going to figure this all this stuff out because I wasn't really in the manufacturing business at that point. Uh, I just went to factories. I, I, I went to factories in Shenzhen and Shanghai, started asking people, how does this work, really, instead of like sort of in theory, and that's sort of how everything started to grow,
0: if that makes sense. It's quite a significant step from going from, like an education and cultural anthropology to three D printing and manufacturing. What was there? What?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it. You know, it has no. It has very little relationship with each other aside from just interest in the technology in a, in a sort of social context. And and for me, I just generally get very interested and excited about things, and I just want to explore it. And and especially if it's new and I don't get it. And so for me, it was really sort of this personal journey that started on a very theoretical level and started working on this 3d printing gig and and as as i went into it you just start figuring out that the whole hoopla about 3d printing first of all was not really accurate but at that point i was so excited about building businesses that i just kept on going um and i think that was really sort of strange i sort of rolled into it and i still feel like after eight years of running startups I'm still rolling into things all the time that are just super interesting and exciting, um, that I would never have experienced. I think in in a different line of work. So it, there's no, I think there's no real logic to it. I just from one thing came another, came another, and then we were selling our products to Walmart and living in Mountain View and and all this sort of crazy stuff. And and I still don't, I still don't really understand how we got there in many ways. But it was. Uh, and it was an epic journey for sure, yeah.
0: Okay, and then um, after your education, did you immediately start with your startup or did you d- do some things in between? Uh, yeah, I actually
1: sort of immediately started. I, I got a I got a letter from, um, long story short, got a letter from Hong Kong uh, University of Science and Technology and they were like, uh, this is not going to happen. I was like let's do it. And and I just rolled into it. I had no business background aside from just like sheer will and determination to get stuff done. I had no... I had no... Um, um, nothing to back me up that this was going to be a good idea. But I was just... I had always enjoyed working... What I said before, I, I, I've always enjoyed working with people that are inspired and hardworking to, to, to create something new. So some people would sort of say in a lame way, it's sort of in your genes. And in my case, I do think that it sort of is in my genes it was always i think it was always going to happen it was just a question of like how the stars were going to align to get there i guess
0: and at that point you were still a student uh i can imagine that it was quite yeah i don't know hard to uh, to start it because it's not that you say like hey i'm I'm in a day job. I saved up some money. um, uh, I made some runway for myself and now I'm going to start. How how did you support yourself?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And and, uh, this being a super open uh, podcast, I don't mind sharing that. I think one of the, the major things that i sort of have a gripe with with entrepreneurship actually is that everybody says that they were grinding and it was such a hard journey and everything was like i had five jobs and otherwise you're you know not really a real entrepreneur like from my side i've i've been blessed i'm from holland i've been blessed with an amazing youth i'm from a from a from a good well-to-do family so for the initial period i just got support and as a result i could do it i don't that's why for me, I've always felt blessed and don't really deserve it all because I started from a place of comfort and not because of a place of, of risk and danger. Um, and so, yeah, you know, back then I moved here from Korea when I started my first business and, and I was living with my, my, my then girlfriend, we shared the rent, uh, and, and there was some level of support from my family to make this all possible until we raised money. And then obviously, um, I could stand on my own two feet for that matter, but I've just been very blessed. And I think I'm grateful for that every day for my family and for my friends that they were always there for me in that way. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been here and do what I do today, I think.
0: And when you started, did you set yourself a goal saying like, um, I want to be in 12 months on that particular level or I want to have at least X amount of, users x amount of revenue or after 18 months or like how did you set yourself the goals
1: um i think from my side um that's why i always work with co-founders i think from my side i i am just ultimately driven to build something uh, walking through walls all that sort of all that sort of jazz and i think with with me and my my co-founder was very much from uh also a dutch guy I was very much from a f- sort of more corporate background which was much more kpi driven than i was back then i learned to become more like that but when i started my first business i was just super excited to do it and i was just looking for how can we continue to build this uh, and so i think through you know, the relationship with my co-founder, I think we were much more, to some extent, much more realistic about what were our KPIs on a, on a personal level to continue this. And, you know, I'm always gr- grateful for that. And I learned so much from my previous co-founder, simply for him having that more pragmatic view about building a startup. So from our side, we were always looking at our runway and, and essentially raising money. And, and And I think that was for us more we thought we were solving a problem together. And the only the only target we had was like, how are we um, gonna achieve that problem that we're solving? And there was not really a sort of a KPI there that we said, if we don't hit like a certain conversion or a certain amount of customers after 18 or 12 months, and then it's, it's over. And I think it was over um, with that first company when we ran out of money. Uh and my my then co-founder had like uh, got a kid and lived in San Francisco, had four credit cards outstanding, and he said, like, Kun, you have two cats, I have a kid, I need to take responsibility right now, I cannot keep doing this. Uh, and which I completely respected, and that was the end of that. Um, and I think one of the things I really appreciated in that relationship as well was there was never a discussion about we should stop until we decided to stop. And I think that certainty is really was really foundational and 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 to how like the trust we had between each other and and that's why we still like he still advises me when it comes to sales and KPIs and every time I'm in Holland I always try to see him and and yeah so that's quite a special I would say quite a special relationship yeah
0: um, was that the company that you at that point working for that you also went through 500 startups with or was it something else?
1: Yeah, so that was you Create 3 d um, and, and we went through uh, 500 startups with that company and that allowed me to also live in Mountain View or actually in San Francisco but work out of Mountain View for about six months and sort of got a taste of the, the Californian way of, 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 of running a startup, I would say,
0: yeah. And how was the experience of uh, going through an accelerator like 500 Startups?
1: amazing i have to say um it was really valuable uh, but i think at the end of the day the most valuable part about any good accelerator is 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 the fellow startups that you are working with in that accelerator i think it's really unique in the sense that when when startups are properly vetted and the the acceptance rate for for 500 startups is harder than getting into stanford which is already pretty hard so you have this in our case, were thirty companies, really ambitious people that were all in the same grind, the same struggle. And I think um, seeing that you're not alone and helping each other out, I think is actually maybe even more valuable than mentors in many ways. And because it's five hundred startup, the quality of the startups is also very high. So as a result, you're just meeting really cool founders all the time. So a lot of people that wasn't in thousand fifteen, a lot of my close friends still are founders that I met at five hundred startups. Um, so yeah, learned a lot and also learned a lot about, for example, what not to listen to, uh, when you're an accelerator and everybody's trying, you're an early stage company with little traction, everybody will tell you a hundred thousand things. And then there was such a thing that we called in, in 500 Startup we called mentor whiplash, where you were continuously informed that you should do things differently. Uh, and also learning about that and, 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 and how people advise you and what to do with that or trying to do to deal with that correctly was super valuable for me personally at least
0: Um that startup went as you said failed like well i would say it went silent it but went yes silent. okay <laughs> what at that point would be for you now in hindsight be the reason why that went silent
1: that is um Usually when investors ask me this question, I have sort of a a short answer, which is like, I think it was, from my perspective, a combination of of, uh, unit economic issues. So essentially us not being able to, to get to a price point where it worked for our customers. And at the same time, we were accelerating. So it's like essentially being in an airplane that is about to take off, but missing a wheel. And I think that... For us was really the struggle, and and that's also why they say, well, right? When you go into an accelerator, usually most companies die within six months afterwards, because either you accelerate or you or you go boom, or you go silent for that matter. So I think for us, we had uh, a huge partnership with Walmart, um, uh, with walmart.com, and which was an amazing experience to just, you know, I can still see us sitting there in San Bruno negotiating with the the just uh, sometimes friendly gorilla in the world, and uh, we were like a four-person company. Um, but I also think that that puts a lot of stress on your company, and it, if your unique economics and your strategy is not completely correct, it will either. If if it is, it it will make you and you will be huge. And if and if it's not, it will break you and shatter you. So I think that sort of. I would say that is what happened essentially
0: during that point there were there any uh, actions that you did uh, that now in hindsight you think hmm, wasn't the brightest thing to do at that point and like did you learn from that or what were your takeaways from that and and if you are allowed to talk about it what what was the decision that you at that point made? that's R- where to start
1: <laughs> I think there were so many mistakes made um um it's it's hard to pick one I think because like for me the way I run my business now is is so much has been shaped from the things I've learned from my previous co-founder and all the mistakes we made together um so I I think one of the thing which is more of a it's not really actually a business mistake it's more of a whatever like a life mistake I think one of the things I really learned through my first company, is that you really need to, it sounds sort of super meta, but you you need to really understand who you are and what you want to, what your value add is to the company. I think I'm quite sure with my first company that I went through at least two depressions uh, and for many reasons. But I think one of the things that I also really realized when I was in 500 Startups is that if you're not sure exactly uh, what your value or your 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 yeah your supreme value is to your company um it 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 really gets exacerbated by by the experience of of running a business so to give you a very practical example of that um, so me and my co founder were very much um Um, You know, we were like sort of purely co-founders and the the C in front of our names, as in CEO, COO, or CPO, it didn't really uh, matter to us, but to the outside world, especially when you do fundraising, it matters a lot. And I think for me, I've always been like a sort of a jack of all trades. I'm really good at problem solving, but anybody who knows me knows that I also know that I'm not really, I don't accelerate at anything specifically. I'm just better than most people to, to look across the different fields and sectors in, in our company and, and sort of think of, of innovative solutions to make things uh, better. But, like in my previous company, I wasn't really, um, I guess, grown up enough and strong enough to say, I need to be the CEO of this company because I am better at this, because it's a very intangible skill set. And my co founder, who has always been the nicest about everything, he at that point was CEO. And I think the biggest mistake I made was that I was functioning as a CPO, COO, which is all about like uh, processes, recurring processes, and all that sort of stuff, which I was horrible at. And and so as a co-founder, of course, I was also involved in other things, uh, but it really, uh, you know, eats away at you. And I, I still remember that I was sitting in the head office of five hundred startups in Mountain View, and every single day I was doing something that I. Uh, wasn't good at and which was eating me up on the inside but I also didn't want to rock the boat and I also just wanted to fight for the team and but every day I was just confronted with the fact that I sucked <laughs> essentially and I just remember one day I was sitting in the office and I just lost like everything I felt horrible and I, I I walked to the park next to the office and I sat there and I just cried for an hour I was just sitting there like losing Completely having lost myself because you continuously in the startup are are demanded of to know exactly what you're doing, where you're going. And I had to keep up this appearance like I knew what I was doing in my role, but I didn't. But at the same time, because the stress was so high, I didn't want to go out there and be like, no, I need to take this position. So I essentially just um, lost myself in that company just not wanting to rock the boat and, and support my co-founder. And I think that is a on a personal level a major mistake I made. And and because I also wanted to keep him happy or I thought I wanted to keep him happy. So in retrospect, now I just know what I'm good at. And I think that experience for me doesn't make the founder experience easy. But at least I'm doing things and I'm 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 putting my energy into things where I excel at. And I think I failed at that in my first company, like epically. And and for me, yeah, what I said, it was really a super heavy journey for
0: me. That's uh, quite intensive. And uh, probably at that point also for you, indeed, what you say, a, um, uh, a life-changing experience. From that, what, uh, of course, the the obvious already that you know now where you're good at and where you're not good at, how do you solve that? Like, do you hire people to do that then at that point for you or do you like with your experience just push through it right
1: um i think that like obviously there's a reality of being in a startup and can you or can you not hire people to do things and i think that is obviously just a reality you have to deal with so i think what i do in my current company or what we me and my co-founder do pretty well is that we just look at tasks and understand, I think without even saying it to each other, what are we not good at and what are we good at? And, and we try to minimize the amount of, um, time that, that, that we need to spend on things that we are really bad at and also try to support each other when we know that we're struggling. So I think that is sort of more that, that ability to communicate, um, that limitation that you might have, um, and then making sure that you don't spend too much time on it. And of course, try to hire as quickly as possible for that position with the means that you have at your disposal is really how we try to solve this issue.
0: Okay. Um, So that's the way that you learned how to cope with that. So I imagine that now when you're doing this, everything goes smooth in your current startup.
1: Oh I wish. Uh I think you, you you know you do your best. I think that it's 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 a fight, right? Like I think you have personal ways of doing things. So for example, for me, like I have an endless drive to solve problems. And I and and I don't say that in a sort of like startup-y way. Like I can really not help myself. You know, I will uh I will message my investors at late at night and ask them all these questions about how things should be done or uh, what they think about things because I just want to always get to a a solution. So what I try to do is just continuously remember or remind myself of my own personality and trying to sort of balance things out. And and so I would say in general like with certain traits you just have to keep reminding yourself to do better. And so that's also in my current company, right? Like we have values in the company and, and 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 those values also speak to me because they remind me to be a better person and be a better team player. So, um, and at the same time as well, you have a co-founder that sort of balances you out, right? So for me, I'm super passionate. I want to get things done. I want people to grow. I want things to work. And you also need that. And that sometimes results in inspiration and sometimes that results in in a bit too much and that bit too much is is very much balanced out but by, by my co-founder now um Ivan Young uh, who is like super duper level level headed um and as a result like we usually always talk be- before important meetings we talk with each other because my passion plus his level headedness allows us to run our business I think well um but that is a continual fight to be better right i think that never stops
0: um any recent decisions that you already regret or in hindsight uh, you didn't have the information and uh, something at that point went a little bit different than you expected
1: um well things going different than expected is my everyday. um and i think things i things i regret i guess um some, sometimes you just let your your instinct and your personality get the best of you and i think that is because of what i said before right i'm 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 very driven i want to get things done um you just sometimes you over you overstep right and i think uh, again if you have a good team good co-founder they when it happens they remind you and then you try to do better. And I think, yeah, so that's sort of how we deal with that. And and, and we try to yeah, keep the boat steady in that sense.
0: Um, you talked a little bit already about uh, Mentor Whiplash. Quite often there's a lot of advice given. Um, what advice is often given that you actually don't agree with?
1: Um I might flip the question on you but I, I I think the 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 problem or the challenge generally is that the people are very willing to give advice even if they're not in your industry so for example I run a B2B company and then somebody with a B2C experience comes up and gives you all this uh advice and it just does not a, apply but they will tell you as if um as if it's the truth, and I think that is um, so. It's 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 hard to think of specific advice because I feel like I get advice all the time that 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 is to some extent true, but not 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 really applicable. So I think what I said to 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 flip the question a little bit. I think it's I would say what I learned more. What what is more important is what I learned how to deal with people giving me advice in the first place and i think what i one of the things that i've learned in the last couple of years is that like anything in the sense of communication and feedback is about reciprocity and and what i mean by that is that it's really easy uh, for a person to come up to you and say well i think your business model is great or makes no sense or something along these lines, because they hold no responsibility for what they say to you. And they genuinely often don't really think about what they say to you. So in my experience, if you get people and that's where the reciprocity comes in, if you get people that are willing to come on a call with you for 10 or 15 minutes and talk to you about this. So, okay, they have to give their time to you in order to explain why they think certain things. And you, also do that with people over like a longer period of time. You also know that when they give you advice, uh, they, they probably thought about it and it's relevant. Uh, because I think one of the biggest struggles in, in startups, especially if you have very, very little traction, is that everybody has an opinion, but nobody really invests in thinking about what your company does. And, and again, that's where the whiplash comes in. So if you can just say, okay, if you're not willing to get on a call with me for 10 minutes or 15 minutes or meet me for a coffee to explain what you think like uh, more often, then very likely your information is that you're giving me is, is not worth my time. Um, yeah, I think looking for a single piece of advice um, is that is wrong is really hard because advice is also a question of timing, right? Like advice that I get uh, now might have been valuable two months ago or two years ago, and it's completely inaccurate now. And and so for people that are not in startups, for example, when they give you advice, usually they're not really in it. So like they think they're giving you valuable feedback on something they read in a newspaper. And you are like, okay, well, thank you. I appreciate your time, but
0: yeah. And what is the most valuable advice that's ever given to you? Or maybe one or two or one or
1: so much as well actually i think one of the um, to get very practical some, something very practical was a line that somebody taught me when i was in 500 startups that i uh, made my own so there was a mentor in 500 startups uh, called rob navert and he was helping us negotiate with um, with walmart but also just generally managing the company and he um, uh, t- he taught me the line does that make sense and it's, it sounds super, super cheesy, but the why I find it so valuable is because running a business is all about buying from your staff, from your investors, from your customers. And a lot of people, when they do sales or when they internally try to make a point, they just ramble on and they they just tell you what they think. And by forcing yourself to say, does that make sense after everything you say? you first of all respect the person you're talking to because they know there is room for an opinion of course you have to listen after that but hypothetically there is room um and it also gives a natural break to a conversation so it's really like i think if you're in a at that point when i was in 500 startups i'd been hit in the face so many times um that at some point you just become numb to it all and that question really helped me because it, it, it steered me away from being numb and really got me back to engaging my team and my customers. And so when I'm also in my team and, and, and I look at communication skills, I always say to people like the first thing you need to do, ask like a lawyer, confirm the question that somebody is asking you, answer it shortly, answer it in a long way. Like that's generally the goal that you have. And then at the end, you say, does it make sense? And I think doesn't make sense is probably the most valuable thing I always say. If
0: that makes sense. Um, what is something that's not a secret but most people don't know about you?
1: Um, yeah. So um, when I was really young, uh, my father um, my father was a curator for a museum in Holland, and at some point when I was eight years old, he said to me. Um, I'm going to Pakistan, do you want to join? And this is obviously a super not founder related story, but you know, bear with me. And uh, I said to him, um, yeah, but I want to shoot a machine gun. And then my father thought about it. I think he talked to my mom and, and the answer was, was Yes. And then we went to, um, to Pakistan and, and then we went to Karachi. It was amazing. I was young. We went to like all the areas you cannot go anymore. And we went to a gun village and I, and I shot a machine gun. And then later on when I was about 27, 28, um, my father asked me, oh, do you remember that? And I think I remember primarily through the photos of me with a with a AK-47. And then he told me, oh, do you remember the last part of the story? And I was like, oh, no, I don't really remember. And he told me, yeah, well, we went to the village elder and you got to ha- hold a hand grenade as well. And I was like, wow, that's responsible parenting. I, I'm not sure. Fun parenting for sure. So that is a, a random story for sure.
0: And... If there's one thing that you want people to take away from this talk, what is it?
1: Um, I think the most important thing uh, to take away is that, you know, just be honest about where you're from and as best as you can, try to be open and honest with people. I think that is, at the end of the day, um what I I would say the startup world needs. You need honest people trying their best to solve problems. Some of them are maybe not meant to be solved, but all honestly trying to, you know, to build something to create value. And I think for me, I'm a big proponent of just being honest about the fact that I am, I come from a well-off background and that has allowed me to do this. Uh, And I'm honest that like, I have many shortcomings and, and because of my team, Uh, and uh, how I try to empower them. um, We make amazing products and I would not be able to do that by myself. And I think that sort of honesty that I try to at least uh, show and and also, again, the question of does that make sense, always empowering people to be part of the conversation and add value. I think that's the lifeblood of any happy organization, even if you don't become a Series D company or you have an IPO or an exit. I think that is... Because at the end of the day, we're as entrepreneurs, I think we are supposed to create value. And value is best created on honesty and, and, and being genuine. So, yeah.
0: And then doing a startup, does it make sense?
1: Not at all. But it's really, really fun.
0: <laughs> I want to thank you for your valuable insights and sharing of your lessons learned in startups.
1: Yeah, thank you so much uh, for your time, Jeff. It was, uh, was fun to share.
0: Uh, for the listeners, although the rating system in podcasts is hideous, if you like this Mea Cooper series, you can rate this podcast with five stars as a motivation for the makers. Also, if you have any suggestions on people that you want to hear on this podcast, let us know. Contact details are in the show notes. Uh, this is Jeffrey Brewer. And normally I would say go out and build something meaningful. But with now with this COVID situation, I'll just say build something meaningful. Thank you.